0: Hey, well, today we're in a sermon series, part three of a sermon series on Sunday. It's just called Prepare the Way. And uh, here's really where we got that title from, was from uh, Mark chapter one. It talks about John the Baptist, if you were back with us a couple of weeks ago. And John the Baptist really came with one message and one mission. And his message was really simple. It was this, it was to prepare the way. Now, he was preparing the way for Jesus to come, um, and so we just titled our whole series Prepare the Way, and he, we've, here's the one kind of bottom line question that we've been asking all series long, and uh, welcome in, Collide. We're going to ask that question of you today, ask you ask that question of yourself, if you're a mom, a dad, a student, a single parent, and here is the question at the bottom of our series is, does your life, does your life prepare the way for the work of God in you and through you? Does your life, does the way that you live, does your priorities, the way that you spend your money, your schedule, what you allow yourself to be occupied with, the way that you entertain yourself, the conversations that you have, the way you approach your career, the way you go to school, like is it actively living in such a way that you're preparing the way for God to actually do something in you and through you? Part of the beautiful thing about Collide is that there's 48 hours where there's a a lot of intentionality about leaning in towards Jesus. But what I'd say to all of us is it takes everyday intentionality in your life and mine as a student, as a grandparent, as an adult to go, God, I want you. Like I'm asking you to do something in me and through me. And so this series has really just kind of been stirring that in us. Are you living that way? What does it look like? to live that way. Uh, We're walking through the book of Mark. Today we're going from Mark 1 to Mark 2. So go ahead and open open up your copy of scripture to the book of Mark, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And today we're going to be in um, chapter 2 with a story that you're going to be pretty familiar with. But today we'll kind of put a new spin on it. Last week, if you remember, we recounted in, in like 30 minutes, we knocked out three stories, three miracle stories, actually. And then today, guess what I've got for you? One more miracle story, the work of Jesus in a powerful way in Scripture. So as we start reading today, we're going to read a story. I Trust me, you've heard it before. But as we read this miraculous story of Jesus, don't forget what we said last week. And if you missed last week, here it is for you for the first time. When you read Scripture, especially when you read the New Testament or as we're walking through the book of Mark, we're like, all the miracles of Jesus are there. It's like miracle after miracle after miracle. It's really easy to read that and go, man, I'd love one of those. Like, I wish God would do that on my Tuesday morning, but the reality is when we read the miracles of Jesus in Scripture, the point is never the miracle, right? It's not give me one of those, but the point is that it, the miracle is a sign pointing to the miracle worker, and last week we kind of landed by saying your greatest need in mine is not a sign, but our greatest need is a Savior, Is that Jesus would come and be who he is, and that he would do that redeeming work in us, and that we would then know him in faith. So remember that today as we read this familiar story. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 is where we're going to pick up, and here's what scripture says. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word. He, Jesus, preached the word to them. Now, remember, Jesus had performed, what, three miracles in chapter 1. And although, remember what he said every time he did the miracle? He told them not to do what? Not to go and tell anybody. And what did they do? They went and put it on Let's Talk Capernaum on Facebook, right? And everybody and their mama heard about what Jesus was doing. So here we are. As a result, everywhere that Jesus went, people are approaching him with requests. Jesus, would you heal? Jesus, would you cast out demon? So much so that Jesus was unable to do what he was primarily came to do. He said it in chapter one. He says, I came to preach or to share, to teach the word. And because they shared, it wasn't quite time for that yet, they're slowing down Jesus' ministry because people are coming from everywhere going, what can you do for me? Now, I love this. Chapter 2 says Jesus enters a home in Capernaum. Uh, It's thought by a lot of scholars that when Jesus went to Capernaum, he would stay at Peter's house. So maybe he's at Peter's house, maybe he's not. But without any posters put up, any ads on Instagram or TikTok, the word's out, Jesus is in town. And what does it say? And people came from Everywhere, like everywhere. Scripture says to the point that you picture this house, there was no room inside, there was no room outside. (laughs) Very coincidentally, kind of like today, all right? There's no room inside or outside, so we're standing all over the back, and Jesus sees the crowd, and what does he do? He's like, man, I got a crowd. This is a great moment to do what? To preach the word, okay? And so listen, I'm just trying to be like Jesus today. That's it, all right? I see a crowd. Let's preach the word. Let's talk about truth, and that's what Jesus does in this moment. Notice Jesus didn't aim to entertain them. We'll see that in a second. Uh, He wasn't here to just aim to do more healings or give more signs. He wasn't there to put on a show. But what Jesus knew that this crowd, all these people who'd come from all over, what they needed most was the word. They needed truth. See, our, our greatest need is not tradition. It's not more trinkets, but it's truth. All of us deeply need truth, and our goal as the exchange faith family, no matter what age you are or your kids are, the next generation is, our goal is truth. In fact, we say that. It's on our wall that we exchange ideas. The world has a lot of them for truth. Only Jesus is that. And here's what Jesus says to them, or here's what happens next in the story. Pick up verse 3. This is where you're going to start to recognize it. It says, some men came bringing to him, to Jesus, a paralyzed man. And he was carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Now, Scripture says there was a paralyzed man who was carried by his friends. Now, we don't know a whole lot about the paralyzed man other than clearly he was in a pretty desperate position. He could not walk. Like, there was zero mobility for him But the good news was what? That he had four friends. And he had four friends who cared for him so much. So think about this, that they were willing to load him up on a mat, walk however long they had to walk just to get him to the feet of Jesus. Now, we don't know all the specifics of the story. But listen, there's a chance there was no Uber. There was no ambulance. There's a chance these guys maybe walked a few miles taking a corner, right? Let's switch, left hand this time, right? All the way so that they could get this man to the feet of Jesus because what they knew that he needed, they cared for their friends so much that what they knew that he needed was he just needed to be near to Jesus. He just needed the healing touch that Jesus could provide. I want to kind of turn this into a question today. I'm going to pose three different questions to you and really to me. And the first question is this, are you you aware of the spiritually paralyzed people in your life? Now listen to me, I'm not referring to or putting down in any way people who suffer from a physical paralysis, okay? That's a very real thing. But in this moment, what I want us to see is that there was a spirit, there's a spiritual paralysis that we could also diagnose. Every person listening to me today at church, you've got somebody in your life who is spiritually paralyzed. And just like this man's physical paralysis kept him from doing what? Kept him from getting to Jesus. There are people in your household, in your school, around you who they are spiritually paralyzed. And it's keeping them from walking to Jesus. And that could be a number of people today, church. Maybe it's a a classmate at school. It's somebody on your sports team. It's a coworker that you hang out with five days a week. It's an across-the-street neighbor. It's a friend on social media. Or, or how about this? It's maybe somebody who lives in your own house. And there, there's a spiritual paralysis in their life. And what I've found is I've heard a lot of stories from a lot of people is that that, that spiritual paralysis could look like a lot of different things that keeps us from getting to Jesus. For some people, it's just a, it's a hard heart or an apathetic spirit. Um, for some people, it's busyness or bitterness. For some people, it's a very real loneliness in their life or depression. Or this is a real popular one in our part of the woods. Maybe it is, man, a, a wound in their life because of church people or a church experience, or maybe it's something else. That's just this, it's a personal paralysis in their life that that causes them to not be drawn to the nearness of God, that they, they can't get their way towards Jesus. And what I'm saying to us today is that may we learn something from the four friends, that as followers of Jesus, as the church, which is what we call ourselves today, God calls us to live with an awareness of the spiritually paralyzed people around us. And you go, well, like, where are you getting that from? Well, let me just take it from Jesus a little later in Mark 2. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. Jesus says this, Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Look at what Jesus said. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but who? But the sick. And Jesus says, like, I've come to earth on a mission not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Jesus says his primary mission was to come to earth to save the spiritually sick. So I'm just proposing today that if that's who we are as followers of Jesus, then God calls us to live with an awareness of the spiritually sick and paralyzed around us. That we would know those people in our circle, men who are longing, who are broken without the hope of Jesus, and then God calls us to to make an investment into their life. But I don't want to kind of walk through that truth there and miss this, that maybe, maybe the person who is spiritually paralyzed is you. And maybe it's you, like as a student coming off Collide weekend or maybe as an adult or a grandparent or the boss over a company, maybe because of things that have happened in your life, decisions, mistakes, past failures, maybe you've gotten to this place where really you've kind of given up On seeking after Jesus, or maybe you think, man, there's no way that like a holy God would ever pursue or love or accept or forgive me. And what I hope you see today in a story out of Mark 2 about the living Jesus is that God is full of love and compassion and forgiveness for everyone. And there's nobody too paralyzed for Jesus to put his hand on and for God to work in and through their life But Scripture says the crowd, we read it, is so big that they couldn't get to Jesus or even get inside the house. Now, if you've studied this story, you probably know some of these details. But a typical house in this part of the country in the Middle East had a flat roof that they would build a staircase so that you could get to the roof from the staircase on the side of the house. Now the roof was made up not of shingles like we're used to today, but it was made up of like this thick clay, and then they would lay branches across that that would be across these wooden beams. So they're not digging through multiple layers of shingles and plywood to get to Jesus, but scripture says that there was such a problem they couldn't get to him, so they began to dig a hole in the roof. And then Jesus sees that. Can you imagine? Like we're preaching today, and all of a sudden there comes Jim, like right through the roof, right here to our feet. Mid-sermon, all right? That probably would have caused a little bit of a distraction. That's what Jesus experiences, right? So Jesus gets upset. It's like, you guys take him out of here. No, that's not the response of a compassionate and a merciful Savior. Now, here's, here's what Jesus said, Mark chapter 2, verse 5. It says, when Jesus saw their fate, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins Are forgiven. Now we're just looking at one verse for a moment. Scripture says Jesus saw what? He saw their faith. faith, Their faith. And he responded. Now we're going to talk about Jesus' response in a moment, but I don't want us to miss that Jesus saw their faith. He saw the faith of these friends of the paralyzed man, and because he saw their faith, what does it say? Jesus responds. Like Jesus reacts. So let me kind of flip that to make that personal for you today, mom, dad, high school student, right? Do you have friends in your life who would cause God to move or act because of their faith? Do you have those people in your life? Or we could ask it this way. Um, Do you have tear-off-the-roof-friends? Do you? See, it took four friends to get this paralyzed man to Jesus, which to me tells all of us that we should never do life alone. Because the reality is we all find ourselves on the mat at some point, don't we? Life will throw you on the mat even when you're not ready. And we always need others to pick us up, to carry us, to walk us to the place where we need most, which is to the feet of Jesus. These weren't just any friends. These weren't just four guys that he found on the side of the road. These were tear-off-the-roof friends. Like, these were friends who had real faith. And now, think about it. When these guys got this man to the feet of Jesus or to the house where Jesus was, and the crowd was there, and there was no way, and they were like, you guys are probably going to have to take the roof. They're like, we've walked five miles. That would have been the moment that they could have tapped out. No, that's probably a lot. Like, there's no way. I mean, he's already preaching. He's mid-sermon. He's not going to stop. But that wasn't the faith of these friends. No, thank goodness their excitement exceeded their excuses. And so I'm just asking your circle, your sphere, the spiritual accountability in your life do you have friends in your life who care about you so much that their faith would tear off the roof for you? See, I'm convinced that's why god calls us throughout his word to be connected to a spiritual or a faith family we don't go to church because it's the right thing to do in the south no we connect with others because we're going to find ourselves on the mat and we need other people to pick us up and sometimes almost to carry us all the way to the feet of jesus that's why faith, family, church, gathering beyond this moment matters. And if you hang out here long enough, what we're going to tell you is, hey, this moment, a lot of ways you can feel like a number in a seat on a Sunday at this church or any church. So my deeper encouragement would be, man, who who are the five? Who are the 10? Who's the group of people in your life who'll pick you up, who'll see you on your mat and pray for you and walk with you and encourage you and call your heart towards Jesus? Because Thank goodness this paralyzed friend had that. And over the last 11 years, church, I've watched, man, I've watched a beautiful picture of people in this faith family who did not even know each other at a point in life tear off the roof for one another. And I've watched people show up in moments of great need and brokenness. I've watched people walk with others through loss and through celebration. I've watched people pray with, others and for others i've watched people give encouragement and wisdom when people needed it most and so my question just for all of us to wrestle with is like who who is that for you like honestly who who is your tear off the roof friend or friends and you go i don't i don't know man i'm really kind of lonely i don't know that i could have that person or name two people in my life and I would just say, man, we, we would love to be that for you as a faith family, but there's a level of intentionality, intentionality just like these men had to get their friend to Jesus. We all need tear-off-the-roof-friends, but notice Jesus' response, okay? He saw their faith, and then what did he say? Did you catch it? He said it, your sins, he looks at the paralyzed man and he says, your sins are forgiven, or let's be honest, these men had gone through a whole lot of trouble, maybe miles, of walking their friend to Jesus to be what? To be healed. He was paralyzed. Bro, couldn't walk. They were like, Jesus can help him walk again. They want to get their friend to Jesus to be healed, and here Jesus sees him, and the first words Jesus says to him is, What? Your sins are forgiven. And I'm just pictured like Jim and Larry and Mo and like all of them up top. No, 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 Jesus. No, he's paralyzed. Can we do the walking thing? Not not forgiveness. Why did Jesus say that? Well, it's, it's really clear if you read the life of Jesus. Because Jesus is always, listen, he's always more concerned with our spiritual condition than our physical condition. And Jesus saw the deepest need of this man. That he didn't just need to walk. But he needed his heart, he needed his life to be redeemed, to be healed. I mean, what good was it if this man had two working legs that just walked him straight into hell apart from God? Jesus went for the deepest need of our life. And I'm saying to you and to me today, listen, I don't know your story. I don't know what's crazy in your world right now. But no matter what you are going through, hear me, there is no issue in your life that's as big as sin and forgiveness. Just not. We make it. But at the root of all brokenness is the root of sin. Commentator Warren Wiersbe wrote this. You can see it on the screen. He says, forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. See that? Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. It meets the greatest need. It costs the greatest price. And it brings the greatest blessing and the most lasting results. Why did Jesus say your sins are forgiven? Because that was the deepest need that bro had. Walking was secondary, but forgiveness was eternal. And Jesus offered him and gave him the forgiveness that he needed. Now, pick up in verse 6. Look at what happens next. There are some bystanders, and they kind of get all in the mix. It says some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow, Jesus, why does he talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 8. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And Jesus said to these teachers, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Now, a little bit of context, a whole lot of truth. These men that Mark talks about were some religious teachers, and their role in the day, to summarize it, was to guard the truth of God, to make sure that the truth that was being taught and proclaimed was true to what it said. They were trying to do their job. Now, in a stunning moment, what did they learn about this fellow who was teaching in the middle of the house with the guy at his feet? They learned that he could read their hearts and their minds like that. Did you I mean did you read it? It said Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking. They didn't even say a word, but Jesus already knew. Now, I'm just saying honestly for me, if I'm sitting there Jesus reads my mind, I'm like, "Yep, you are who you say you are." But clearly they didn't still fully believe. And here's why that was such a big deal. See, for Jesus to claim to forgive sins meant that Jesus was claiming to be God. And because these teachers believed only God could forgive sins, therefore Jesus was committing the highest level of penalty that could be committed. He was claiming to be God. And that's why they said, he's blasphemous. He's saying something that's so far from the truth. But then in verse 9, we read what Jesus responded with. Jesus asked the men, did you see it? Such a great question. Jesus is always the great question asker. He says, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven... Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Now, why did Jesus ask that question? Well, I think there's a few different reasons. One, his point was that either one of those, to say either one of those for a normal human man was impossible. But for him, as God in the flesh, he could say either one of them, and they were fully possible. Now, think about what Jesus asked. Saying your sins are forgiven. Got Joe laying on the mat right here, saying your sins are forgiven. Easy to say, really hard to tell if it happened, right? You can't see, has everything been wiped away in Joe's life? But to say, get up, take your mat, and walk, maybe easy to say, but everybody in the house is going to know if it happened or not. Are you who you said you are or not? Do you really have the power or not? Here's why Jesus was speaking to the teachers and reacting like he was, because one of the points, remember every miracle is what? It's a sign to point us to who? To the miracle worker. One of the points of this miracle was to reveal the deity of God, that God was in flesh through his son, Jesus. He was revealing that to the teachers, and he's looking at you and me today in February 2024 going, no, I am who I say I am. And here's what happens next. Mark chapter 2, verse 10. Jesus responds to the teacher's thoughts, and he says, But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So then Jesus says to the man, verse 11, I love it. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And verse 12, he got up. And he took his mat, and in front of the whole crowd, he walked out in full view of them all. And rightfully so, this amazed everyone. And everyone praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. What did Jesus do? He gave him a two-for-one special, didn't he? He says, I know what you want me to say. I know you doubt I can do either one of them. So I'm going to tell him, not only are your sins forgiven, you can't tell if that really happened or not in this moment, but I'll also add on, take up your mat and walk. And he speaks both of those truths, and that's exactly what happened. He proved that he was who he said he was, and that he held all power and all authority as the son of God. Like, can you... Can you imagine? I know it's hard to sort of put ourselves in this moment, but I love to try to do that when I read stories sometimes. Can you imagine the tension in this moment when like Jesus is going back and forth? Like the teachers are tense because they're like, maybe, maybe he really is who he said he was. Maybe, maybe he's really about to do this and we're, we're about to look a fool. Like the paralyzed man's tense. He's been laying there in front of everybody, right? He's like, I don't know. Am I, am I walking home or are they carrying me home? The crowd was tense because they're kind of like sitting there in the middle of a cat fight and they're like, I just feel it in the room. So now I'm, I'm tense. This is awkward for me because this is awkward between them. right? The owner of the house, whether it's Peter or whoever, what's he thinking? Like, is insurance going to cover that? Or like, what? <laughs> and the four friends, right? They're a little tense because they're going, man, we, like, we've walked all day. And if all we get is the forgiveness thing but not the healing thing, we're going to look real foolish. But you notice in, in the midst of all that was going on, just the dynamics of that moment. There was, there was one, right, who is never tense. Not for a moment. No, Jesus knew that in himself, in his words, he held all authority. All power, all dominion, all peace was his. And he said, take your mat and go home. And the man did. In front of everybody. See, the power of Jesus to heal and his authority over sins and over every physical infirmity was proven in that moment. And the teachers, remember their their goal? The teachers who questioned Jesus to try to catch him in a trap, now what? They got nothing to say. They're speechless. They had called him blasphemous. They thought that they they got him in a lie. Like, this is the moment. We're going to get him. But now they they had no argument. Nothing to say. And I think the the problem of the teachers was that they were so hung up on what Jesus had done, but what they were missing was who Jesus really was. I think in some ways, that's kind of the final question for you and for me today that relates to our life is this. Are you trusting God for what he can do? Are you trusting God for who he is? Are you trusting God for what he can do, like the crowd who came to the house and overflowed into the street, or are you simply trusting and leaning in and believing in and putting faith in God just because of who he is? Often it's easy to come to God church kind of like a heavenly vending machine. And our prayers and our prayer life can reflect that. God, can you do this? God, will you heal that? God, will you fix this and give me one of those and put that back together? And God, could you make this work out? God, my kids are doing this and my work and my health. And, and we lay all these things out before God. And we can find ourselves only, listen to me, we can find ourselves only trusting God for what he can do. We're just like that crowd that showed up to the house. Man, maybe he'll do something for me. But I believe what God first and foremost wants, is that he wants us to just know him for who he is. You say, "Why why does that matter? Well, I think when we only seek God for what he can do for us, follow me, but then in his sovereignty, because he knows more and his ways are higher and his thoughts are greater, then when in his sovereignty he does something different than what we thought or what we wanted him to do, and many times our reaction in our flesh is that right, we just kind of pout and walk away, and God I thought you were, and God I wish you would have, and God I prayed and God I trusted, but you didn't. But the difference here today is, when we trust God just for who He is, what do we learn? Well, we realize His character is it's trustworthy, and it's loving and it's graceful and it's merciful and it's kind, and it's compassionate. And when we trust him just for who he is, what we begin to realize is that we can trust him no matter what he does. Because he's a perfect father. He's a, he is a healer. He is the great teacher. He's, he's everything that we need just in who he is, regardless of what he does. So my question for you today, maybe as a student or as a parent, on the mountaintop of life or maybe walking through a valley? Is it when you think about God and who he is to you and why would you lean in and why would you sing to him and why would you pray to him and why would you read his word and why would you chase after him? Is it really just for what he can do? Or is it deeply to know him for who he is? My prayer today is that God would stir in us a desire for relationship and then that relationship would go so deep that it might sprout out in faith like the faith of these friends, that we'd be surrounded by tear-off-the-roof friends in our life who love us deeply and encourage us and hold us accountable towards Jesus. And when we live with that faith and when we surround ourselves with friends like that, then we begin to see the power of God displayed in our life and through our life as we prepare the way for Him to work through us.
1: Thanks for joining us online today. As we gather, we sing songs of worship, we center ourselves on the truth of God's Word, we encourage one another through community, and we do it all so that we might be changed to live more like Jesus. Through our time today, we pray God showed you what it means for you to follow Jesus with your life and to live as the church in the world. We are available and ready to pray for and encourage you as you discover and grow in your faith. To speak with one of our ministry team members or to have someone pray for you, you can text your first name to 601 397 6111 or message us through any one of our social media channels our ministry team would love to pray for you and help you in any way you can also find reading plans and other resources to help you take next steps in your faith on our website www.theexchange.cc as we close out our time today and prepare to scatter as the church let's speak out our declaration together we believe The great exchange took place when Jesus who had no sin became sin for us so we can know God. We exist to see people exchange their old life for new life in Christ and live out their purpose. Christ's love compels us to exchange ideas for truth. God's word is our standard. Selfishness for serving, we will serve others. Pleasing for reaching, we will share our faith. Keeping for dispersing, we will make disciples. Forgetting for celebrating. We will praise God. We are the church.